This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Welcome back to Offscript Extra Time with myself, Robbie Greenfield, and Chris McCarty. With you for the next half hour or so, and we're mixing things up a little tonight, Chris. Yeah, we are. We've done a lot of reflecting over the past month or so with our Into the Locker feature. This week, well, we're focusing on the future of sport. You've been fortunate enough to sit down with a number of industry leaders over the past week or so to discuss the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic is having on sport and what the future may entail. Indeed I have, yeah, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it either, and I wouldn't do that to anyone listening to this. An awful lot of sports and entities within, they are facing the biggest ever crises that they've certainly faced in their lifetimes, and make no mistake about it, livelihoods are at stake. Right then, who are we hearing from tonight? Yeah, it's the turn of Brett Gosper, CEO of World Rugby. He's a man that we've spoken to in the past down at the Emirates Airline Dubai Rugby Sevens. Always very affable. Brett has done a great job, it's got to be said, over the past eight years. He's overseen the sports return to the Olympic Games back in 2016. That was after a 92-year absence. Not to mention the record-breaking figures when looking at the last two World Cup finals, England in 2015, Japan last year, when you look at revenues, when you look at viewership, social media metrics, there is no doubt that rugby was, until this point, Rob, trending in the right direction. Yeah, it's important to point out here, you sat with Brett before Sir Bill Beaumont was re-elected as World Rugby's chairman for yet another four-year stint. Yes, and for obvious reasons, Brett wanted to steer, steer, steer sorry, clear of that subject. Everything else, though, very much on the table. He gave me carte blanche to ask some of the difficult questions that are facing not only World rugby but an awful lot of leaders in sport at this moment in time okay so let's get into it first up the rugby reset as it has been described by world rugby a 100 million us dollar stimulus package has been deployed to help stricken federations so what has been discussed most of it in terms of what's been brought on by covid19 has been the realization that obviously live sport particularly sport filled with stadium particularly sport that is managed across the hemisphere and uh, has vast international travel is probably the most hit of any uh, event we can think of at at the moment Um, it's likely to be the last to be to be back to normal in many ways and so we're trying to plan as long term as possible on many scenarios that that are down so so the reset really is trying to, to form contingencies around when we might be back and in those different times reconfigure a calendar that can try and refine value from broadcast and sponsors and eventually crowds and at the same time really work out if some of those scenarios might actually be even more fit for purpose for the future of the sport itself. In the meantime, everyone's looking at their own balance sheets. Everyone's looking at what's really needed. You, you, there's obviously a huge prioritisation test on what is really necessary now. What do we need to cut? What can we put off? What are those forced savings we can make? There are always some natural savings, but it it really is finance and creativity around the calendar. And of course, in any back to play scenarios, scenarioing all of the different elements of, of, medic, of the medical aspects of return to training for players, uh, individually, collectively, return to games, uh, maybe behind closed doors, potentially in the beginning, and then when will crowds roll back in? So I guess we're very focused on the next 12 months with an eye on what that may create for the future going forward as well. 
Yeah, two very important stakeholders mentioned there, the broadcasters and the sponsors. Now, before you you mention it, and you're absolutely right, fans are the most important. We get to that. But pertaining to broadcasters and sponsors, they, of course, make the world go round in many respects. What is the key touch points with both of those? Well, there are conversations that we're in and there are those we're not in. Um, We're very fortunate at World Rugby and, and for the wider game that we held a a very successful World Cup last year in 2019. Um, and we're headed towards a, a, a hopefully very successful, but certainly a, a very lucrative World Cup if all goes well in France as well, with a lot of guarantees already committed um, by France 2023. So we've been able to straddle from a world rugby point of view, the dangers of budget. Now that doesn't mean there aren't some uncertainties going forward with broadcasters to 23. Some of those contracts haven't been signed. A lot of those sponsorship deals haven't been signed as well. And obviously those conversations are slightly more difficult in the current uncertainties. But certainly our member unions and leagues that, that, that are uh, managed by our member unions, like the Championship in the South, um, like the Six Nations, they're having those conversations with their broadcasters. And you know they're very complex conversations about recovering inventory at some point in time in either the fiscal or calendar year. Um, as you can imagine, um, broadcasters uh, are under pressure at these times um, and sports properties uh, are, are something they love to see back in their inventory very quickly, but it, it's not as easy as that, obviously. With regards to the stimulus package that we mentioned earlier, well, the important question is where will that be spent and how do you ensure it is used wisely? What we're doing at the moment is collecting uh, the various financial situations of particularly the 12 unions who are most hit by a reduction in revenue by the loss of inventory. And they tend to be the unions that are in both the championship and uh, the Six Nations, as well as uh, Japan, as well as Fiji, but also other emerging nations that are, that are, that are in you know cash crisis because of the lack of inventory and so on. So we'll, we set up a, an expert, more independent group that will review all of those demands and try to make that amount of money last as long as possible for the maximum number of unions. So we're in the middle of that process currently. And the idea of this is to keep unions as strongly operational as possible over a period that could be the worst case scenario, which is no rugby at all played internationally until the early part of next year. I think you've got to start from a worst case scenario and hope that that won't be the case, but that rugby will come back earlier and so on. But we want that money to go as wide as possible uh, internationally in terms of our member unions and regions, and as long into the distance as it can to cushion some of those cash uh, holes that are happening because of this inventory loss. Yeah, you heard it there, Rob. Brett said it himself. There is a distinct possibility, and I know we've speculated on it over the last couple of weeks, but there is a distinct possibility there will be no competitive rugby until 2021. So with that in mind, what is being discussed with medical professionals to ensure that players can return to action? And the key word here is safely. We don't have precision on that. We're tracking an enormous amount of medical information and the the COVID virus spread and the differences in each market and so on. And Aina Falvey, who's our chief medical officer, has done some terrific work with the chief medical officers around the world in gathering that information and hypothesising. But there is no precision on where precisely it leads us in terms of 
a gradual return. There are some estimations, but it's, it, 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 it's very difficult to get a real precise gauging on that. But what we're trying to do is look into all of the aspects, as I say, of return to training for players, return to training for groups and the sizes of those groups. Um, how soon will, will, will travel pick up, as we say, is probably going to be one of the last things that's going to happen. Looking at experimentation, learning from other sports, sitting down with other sports such as, you know, football, the NFL, AFL, NRL, and just work out, um, you know, what might be some stadium protocols, are half full, quarter full, spacings possible, viable. So we're looking at every aspect of it to work out. And we're hearing news that many of the governments, in particularly uh, in the United Kingdom, where, uh, where, where I'm based at the moment, are talking about the desire to get sport, whatever that sport might be, whether it be football and other sports, back up and running as early as we possibly can, just to drive some good, feel-good entertainment uh, for, obviously, uh, a fan base or, or a population uh, around the world, which is looking for some good news and looking for some something to look at and watch and, 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 and turn some smiles on. So we're all looking at it, but the short answer is there is no precision on when that might be. To be clear then, would World Rugby have any issues with teams running out to empty stadiums? Yeah, of course, if that is alleviating some of the revenue issues, which it would around broadcast in, in the majority of, of our inventory in 15s and 7s, then we would obviously consider that would be part of it. You know, we also feel that there's likely to be an in-country domestic pickup of the game earlier than there'll be cross-border. So there'll be cross-border within a region, within regions. And then the final phase will be, let's call it international continental, inter- transcontinental, or or, or trans hemisphere. In our case, that's likely to be the the, the very last form of, of of international travel for a, from a sporting sense, and, uh, and and very large crowds likely to be quite late in the day too. Now, when does that mean? We we don't have a precision on that yet. We've already heard that contingencies have been put in place in case we see no competitive action until 2021. Confirmation from Brett too that there is an acceptance that matches will have to be played behind closed doors for the foreseeable. Yeah, it's scary is what it is. Brett also spoke of a gradual rollout of fans returning to stadiums over time. So how does he envisage that happening? I'd have to admit we're not far down that track in terms of precise plan and maybe some of our host unions with these huge stadiums, World Rugby don't own a stadium in itself, but, um, but but some of our unions are looking at this. I mean, there's also a trade-off. There are the complexities of coming into the stadium, the queuing, the exiting, um, the risk involved, uh, the perceived risk by people just entering an atmosphere where there's 25% or a 50% uh, uh, fill, um, and also uh, the aspect of the economics. I mean, if your stadium is 25 to 50% filled, sometimes the economics of, of uh, the costs involved in opening a stadium like that don't add up as well. So there are all, there are all sorts of complexities uh, around that. And, 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 and certainly um, what, what has to happen is that fans have got to be feeling that it's safe and they want to come back into a safe environment. And that's obviously part of the, of the discussion that's involved. Tennis men's world number one, Novak Djokovic, has said he would be against taking a vaccine. That's his moral choice, of course. But what of rugby's plans? Would that become mandatory for players to return to action if and when one is made available? Uh, we haven't got to that point yet. I'd, I'd be very uh, dr- draconian to create, to oblige anyone to take any vaccine, but there'll obviously be safety criteria that if people want to play, they'll have to adhere to. And we've, we, as I said, we've not 
progressed to that point yet where we're considering, obviously where the testing thing is an issue in, in many countries at the moment, um, but certainly if you're going to try to play before uh, there is a vaccine available to players, then there's got to be a very high level of testing and understanding what a protected environment is. And when the vaccine arrives, I'd be surprised that people were unwilling to take it because it is obviously something that will protect everyone's lives. Now, quite incredible that, that there's, I guess, sporting leaders discussing making vaccines mandatory, but that is a consequence of these quite remarkable times. What about the game schedule and structure? It has been well documented, and Robbie and I touched on this ooh, a couple of weeks back, that plans for a nation's championship, they were shelved last year. It was only prudent of me to ask the question to Brett, could that be re-looked at in order for rugby to be in a stronger place out with this pandemic? I certainly think that coming out of this, this crisis, those conversations continue in some form, there will be more meaningful international matches with a more adequate uh, calendar for all stakeholders and hopefully also providing the opportunities for the emerging countries to, to, to get tier, tier one competition in the right way. So although the form of the nation's championship you know, won't come back precisely, nor in the way it was managed financially, um, which was a guarantee provided by a, a, a marketing company and so on, um, I do think some of the strengths of what was uh, debated at that time are coming back to the table in a good way. And finally, what are the ever-changing habits of consumers? How does rugby ensure that it moves with the times and adapts to new norms that will undoubtedly develop, they will be set in stone eventually and they will emerge from this current situation? You know, what's important for, for us is to ensure that rugby remains as, as, as simple, as attractive as possible taking into consideration aspects of player welfare and so on. But ultimately, we need to engage fans. We need to engage new audiences. We need to engage younger fans also for the future of the sport. And they're consuming sport in new and different ways. And we also have to balance out our desire to be broadcast to a maximum audience in traditional terms that usually comes from free to air with other money generating opportunities that may be through pay and other new platforms that are emerging. But we've got our eyes and ears open to all platforms that are open to us. But what is important is that our game remains attractive um, and that it's shaped in a way that it can be consumed in these new ways on new platforms and remains a high value eyeball collector for advertisers, for, for other commercial interests so that we can continue to invest money back into the growth of the game. And we're focused on that in terms of how we how we broadcast our product and how the product presents itself, particularly in the Rugby World Cup and the HSBC Sevens and, 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 and at the Olympics. They're the, the big game changers globally to attract new audiences. Fascinating stuff from Brett Gosper, CEO of World Rugby, speaking to me as part of the Sports Industry Insider Meets series. We thank Brett and you know I felt that he fronted up with an awful lot of the questions that we put to him. To hear more from Brett on the subject of World Rugby's future, visit sportindustryseries.com forward slash videos. That interview in its entirety in video form is up on there. Well worth a watch and as you've heard over the course of the past 
last 25 minutes. Brett not shy in putting forth his ideas. And again, Brett is, is talking from a position of authority. And what he has, what I've deduced from what he said over the last 25 minutes or so, is that sport and world rugby in particular are facing a number of tough decisions and, and tough conversations in the coming weeks and months. It's the ultimate contact sport, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, the coronavirus and social distancing. I mean, football is contact, but rugby, when you talk about the, the pack, the scrum, the mall, you know, you're, you're obviously, you only need one player on that pitch to have the virus. And then if they, if they pass it along, all of their families are at risk. And all yeah. of those people in, their, in that wider family, in their wider circles are at risk because, you know, it is such a team sport. And... It's an environment that that is a breeding ground yeah. for these kind of germs to spread. So I think we just kind of we are we have realised over the last month or so that despite our best hopes, our, despite our best intentions, despite some of the more optimistic headlines that have been coming out about certain organisations and certain establishments, certain professional tours getting back on track. We ain't going to see people in a stadium this year. No, we're not. And we may not even for the first half of next year. That is the brutal reality that I've certainly now kind of yeah, told myself. I, I've kind of, I, I, I've, I've, I've made myself a little bit sort of uh, impervious to the, to the sort of hope. You know, I think I've just abandoned hope for now. And I've just basically said worst case scenario, you know, and if anything that, that actually can be improved upon that ultimately ends up happening, then great but I'm yeah. preparing myself mentally for the worst. We've both been a little bit like ostriches over the course of the past yeah. month, sticking our head very much in the sand. That in, is in tune with who we are as individuals and as characters, but uh, absolutely, I think that's one of the key takeaways. And not to be all doom and gloom, but there is no doubt, folks, that, that sport is going to take a long time before we see certainly the norm that we were used to before this pandemic return. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.